Wouldn't life be a lot easier if everyone was just like me? It's a thought that goes through our head from time to time. God knows I think I would have done better in dating had I found a few women who thought more like me, but it, it didn't work out, now I'm a priest. <laughs> well, that's okay, I love being a priest. But oftentimes, especially when we're confronted with people who are different from us, who have different backgrounds, different ideas about life, we think to ourselves, wouldn't it just be easier if he or she thought and acted the way I do? And this is particularly true, at least in my experience, with people who are on fire for the faith, who love the Lord. When I was in college, one of my best friends was a couple years older than I, Nora. And Nora it was singularly responsible for inviting me to go on the retreat my freshman year, for getting involved in campus ministry, for inviting me to go on service projects, on service trips. She was constantly inviting me to things. And Nora was extremely off-putting because she was the nicest and kindest person I ever met. Nora could never get in a situation that she couldn't find something positive, that she couldn't find something divine, that she couldn't find something beautiful. And at 18, 19 years old, when I was kind of struggling my way, figuring out life, making every single possible mistake, Nora drove me crazy. Because every time I was around her, I just couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And then when I started to get into ministry more and more, and I started to encounter men and women who literally had nothing going for them in their life. And what I mean like that, like the men and women who are homeless, who are, have mental illness. I've met prostitutes. I've met even a man who killed people for a living. That was his job. And yet it's these people in their desperation who reach out for God. And it's off-putting because at the same time, like, we know they need God, but at the same time, wow, everything has gone wrong. How could God possibly reach out and forgive them? I would have been right there with the disciples when this Canaanite woman, this pagan, started asking Jesus for mercy. In the Greek, she actually says, Kyrie eleison, which is what we say in Mass. She says, Lord, have mercy on me. And she's pushed aside. Why? Because when people who have different understandings of God, when people who are either more or holier than us or worse off but are desiring God come into our life, it's easier to push them aside because we can remain complacent and content with where we are. If there's no one pushing me, I'm happy and fine just the way I am. I don't need you here. Thank you very much. But when those people come into our lives, when the Lord calls those people into our lives, everything changes because we are exposed through our brothers and sisters to the radical grace, mercy, and love of Jesus Christ. That Jesus loves us so much that even this pagan in this remote area, this forsaken place, he is going to love. He is going to heal. He is going to draw into us. In other words, when we start going closer, when we bring our brothers and sisters together, we recognize that God calls each and every one of us. God calls you. God calls me. We are all called by Christ Jesus to be one with Him. And when we start to, when we start to walk with Christ Jesus, we also recognize that in our brothers and sisters that each one of us is actually this Canaanite woman. Each one of us is radically and utterly dependent on the mercy, the love, the grace, the beauty, the goodness, the truth 
that comes only from Jesus Christ. And that the world is a better place when we do that together. As Isaiah tells us in the first reading, and this is the beautiful thing, that even if we're like the Canaanite woman, even if our life has been marked by complete and utter rejection of God and His truth, if our moral life is darkened and in an utter disarray, that our salvation is close at hand. And we, in a particular way, can recognize that because every time we come to Mass, Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity comes into our presence and desires to commune with us. What an amazing and incredible thing. And that is why Isaiah tells us when our salvation is close at hand, when we recognize that, we must rejoice. And this house of prayer must be a place of joy. And when we recognize that, Mass becomes not just something we do on Sundays or when I feel really bad about myself and need to pick me up, but something that is life-giving, something that inspires and instills and drives me forward, feeds me on my way. And here's the other thing that St. Paul reminds us in the second reading from the letter to the Romans, is that as ministers of the Gospel, as priests and as lay men and women who love the Lord, we are coming for you. If you're lost, if you're a Gentile, we are coming for you. Because God's call and grace is irrevocable. Once we have known and loved the Lord, we can't help but desire to bring others to that. And this is what we do here at St. Paul. This is why we're here, is to reach out to the lost, the lonely, the confused. If you're worried that you don't have everything figured out, join the club. I'm a priest, and I still don't have everything figured out. There are married couples who've been married for 50, 60 years who are still working it out. But when we walk that walk with Jesus, when we cry out to Him and make Him the center of our prayer and our life, He reaches out to us and says, Great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you wish. And so the challenge is laid before us. The opportunity is laid before us. And so how are we to respond? The first thing is to, like the Canaanite woman, cry out. Every day, pray. Invite God into your life. Reach out to Him. There is never a prayer that goes unanswered. There is never a prayer that goes unheard. God wants to listen to us, and God wants us to listen to Him. Because at first, in our prayer, it's almost like Jesus doesn't pay attention to us. But if we keep yelling, if we keep asking for mercy, if we keep desiring that change, He will turn to us. He will look us in the eye, and He will love us, and show us, and help us. The second thing is we need to know and go where Jesus is walking. This woman went to Jesus. And as I said earlier, Jesus lives here in the Eucharist, in the tabernacle, In Eucharistic adoration, Jesus desires to speak to you in his mercy and love in confession. Go to where Jesus walks and walk with him. And lastly, when you have those things, rejoice. Rejoice. Jesus Christ formed you in the womb. Jesus Christ willed you into being. Jesus Christ holds you in the palm of his hand and he loves you. And he gives you this opportunity Rejoice. 
Let the goodness, the greatness, the beauty, the truth of God be the things that drive you forward. Use your sins not as things to hold you down, but as things you give to the Lord that were taken to the cross and helping to free you so that you can live a life of peace, a life of beauty, and a life of true freedom. Every day, the Lord walks through our life. May we all have the strength and the courage to go to Him, to cry out, and to listen to His still, small voice.